Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 152. We've done 151 of these already. That's pretty. Actually, we've done 152 because we recorded the one for next week already last week. Oh, so right. Every, what's You're up right. is down. What's down is up. I'm so confused. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're pre-recording some podcasts because I'm going to be out of the country. So, oh my and God, I'll tell you all about so it when lucky. I get back. I know. So I'm lucky. always... I realized I was like, I feel like every time we record, I'm like, I just got back from here. I just did that. And and it sounds like I'm traveling a lot. And I and it's because I am <laughs> traveling all I know. The time. I was going to say, I'm like, what are you trying to say? You are traveling a lot. But I did get to yeah. see you this week. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. We had a great dinner at a restaurant called The Consulate. It's really good. Yeah. If you live in Atlanta, highly recommend. Yeah, it was um, really good. So at our dinner – Yes. Sally and I had a conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, so we want to talk to you guys about this. Yeah. You, we're bringing you guys in on the decision making. First, we want to say, look, we're not leaving you. We're not ending we're the not. podcast. That is not we what we're – that you. I know it sounded like from the buildup, like, and we're done. That's not what's yeah. happening. But <laughs> – go ahead. But we both confessed to each other – that we're both feeling like, I, I don't know if it's the heaviness of the world or we've just grown as people since we started this <laughs> podcast yeah. three years ago. But we really just want to veer away from the the real heavy true crime stuff. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, it's catfish stuff. Yeah. Is we, we, If you haven't noticed, we've been doing more of like stories where nobody's really getting hurt because it's just yeah we just don't really have the heart for it anymore and we don't have the stomach for it anymore although i will say the story today there's they, definitely or- murder <laughs> but um <laughs> we're giving you one for the road yeah one for the road but i think we're trying to figure out a way to you know move in a different direction like shit would you guys be happy with only love stories and dumb criminal stories would would you guys would that satiate you, yeah, like, uh, would you be happy with that, or do you really love the true crime stuff? Or more open for suggestions because you guys, we do this for you, we love you, and we appreciate you guys sticking around with us for three years. So you know, let us know your thoughts. What are you yeah. thinking? Are you guys tired of it too? You know, yeah, um, I, we've had some people tell us that they fast forward through the true crime part and only listen to the love part. So yeah, and, and then, then we've also there had are some people say they the just really are mostly <laughs> interested in the true crime and then right. tolerate the love stories. But right. I think. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Like we're just trying to figure out what would be a format that you guys would still be interested in listening to. Would it be like if we did quickies and a love story? Would you like? Do you like the um the more catfishy? Uh, you know, do you like having two longer stories and quickies? What what is what kind of format? What is it that you like about the podcast? Tell us what you like about us. Tell us what you're listening for. Um, we'll uh... and it can't just be my really good singing voice. <laughs> It can't just be about that, okay? It can't just be about my accents. Like, you can't just like it for that because I can't do it all the time, it you guys. It can't be about the accents. <laughs> um, 
but no, yeah, we would really appreciate some input because this is something that we're kind of struggling with. But yeah, know, we, we want to give the people what they want. But I would, but as of right now, and where we're standing in at this moment in life, we just it's just real hard for us to real dig deep into the murder stuff. We just don't really have the stomach anymore for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll figure out some ways to reach out. I'm sure we'll post about it on social media, but also um, email us if you aren't on social media. Um, and it's dumblovepod at gmail.com. and just let us know your thoughts. Or if you know us in person, send us a text. We're very we're interested. We want to know what yeah. what you guys what you guys are up for. We're interested and available. <laughs> we are totes of ale. <laughs> totes of ale. All right. Well, don't worry. Get... It sounds like we're not going to have an episode today. We're going to have one. And oh, we're going to have one. actually be a murder. But, it's going to uh, be so much murder. It's going to be so much no, murder. So much. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Right. We're, not, we're not abandoning you yet. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let's get into our quickies. Okay. I'm going first this week, and my quickie comes from an article for DisneyDining.com written okay. by <laughs> Becky Burkett. I know it's no. not good, uh, <laughs> I loved all of that. That was like a tongue twister. Say it three times fast. DisneyDine.com by Becky Burkett. Becky Burkett. Becky Burkett. Um, what a great name. A woman was arrested last week at Disney's Animal Kingdom um, after she attacked her husband in an altercation during which the couple was arguing about <laughs> marital problems re- related to the stress of their Disney World vacation. Holy um, shit, this is not what I thought this quickie was going to be about, and it's so great. <laughs> I know. Okay, this woman, her name is Asia Curry. She's 31 years old. Her and her family were uh, visit- visiting the Walt Disney World Resort. They're from Westchester, Illinois, but they were visiting Walt Disney World. They've been married for six years, and they have two kids. On June gotcha. 3rd, uh, just after 5 p.m., uh, Asia and her husband began to argue while they were visiting Disney's Animal Kingdom. They were in the parking lot when they got into a verbal altercation. Um, and then there was actually an Orange County Sheriff's deputy right there who witnessed the entire argument. Um, apparently, they had spent the whole day at the Animal Kingdom. And according to Asia's husband, they started arguing verbally about marital problems related to the stress of the Disney World vacation. And according to the deputy's account... Um, Asia put the couple's children in the car and then continued screaming at her husband and she was cursing at her husband. And then in response, her husband started to walk away in an attempt to de-escalate the situation, but she followed him, Uh spat on him. (laughs) Sorry. And then he continued to walk towards the deputy's uh, patrol vehicle. And as Uh he walked up to the patrol car, Asia hit him with an open hand in the back of the head. And at that point, uh, they parted ways. And then he, uh, the husband talked to the deputy and I guess like reported her. She was then arrested. Um, she admits that she beat her husband, but she said that he deserved it. And (laughs) Asia was charged with domestic violence. Um, and apparently there, they, there had never been previous incidents of domestic violence. I think the Disney vacation just completely set them off and she's scheduled to appear in court on august 17th now let me just say Uh you've been to disney (laughs) i've never punched a person Uh in my life i've never punched a person or like slapped a person i'm not that's not in my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. but if there's one place on this green (laughs) earth that could make me fucking punch a person (laughs) 
I it would be Walt Disney World or any other theme park for that matter. Um, I'm just I'm not condoning violence. No. Obviously, I'm not condoning violence at all. Like she, she should never have hit her husband. He tried to walk away. She spit on him. That's disgusting. She shouldn't have hit him. But I sympathize with the stresses that come with a Walt Disney World vacation. Like, have you been to Disney yet with Max? No. Okay. And so I hope we did to never. <laughs> oh my god. We did the whole Disney thing um years ago and it's like let me just say it was like it's very expensive mm-hmm. and the amount of planning that goes into it is just insane for the person that plans the vacation which was me. Right. Um, so <laughs> like you have to know months in advance. Yeah. You have to know all the rides and then you have to like log in and sign up and try to get the fast passes to make all of your family's dreams come true. Right. And like, if you don't get this fast pass, then you have to rearrange all this other stuff to try to get these other ones. And then, and then try to organize to where, okay, if I, you, if we do these three rides and then you use, and then you're eligible for another fast pass, then we can go. The planning is just insane. And the stakes are high because right. the money is its so expensive. Yeah. And right? it's a one-time deal. And if your child doesn't get on the fucking Frozen ride, that, that's the whole reason we're going. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's so – it's insane. And then to when you're – I will just say there were moments. <laughs> there were moments on the trip where like – I've got it down to a science and I've put so much work yeah. into this. And then all of a sudden I would get a text message. It was like, hey, um, I'm with Sully. We just w- decided to hop on this ride. We'll see you guys in like 15 minutes. And I'm like, do you know what you what just did? <laughs> yeah, like you just, now we're going to miss this like $300 lunch that I just prepaid for. You know what I yeah. mean? Like this princess lunch <laughs> that we had to do, like like all this stuff. And then like, you know, to have your husband be like, just relax, it's vacation. And then it's like, Dude, you're on vacation. I you, I am the cruise director, planner, event planner. You are on vacation, and so yeah. it was just like, yeah. I will say, I think I've said this before, but Disney World was like a pendulum swing between being the greatest time ever to the my worst fucking nightmare. So, like, I totally understand why um, stresses could be high. Yeah. Because I, I was just imagining when you were describing, like, she put the kids in the car, her, like, rage buckling in her kids, but still yeah. doing it and being like, hold on just a second. Mommy needs to talk to daddy outside the car. And then just being like, you fucking, like, <laughs> we, we were supposed to meet Mickey at two. <laughs> I know, I know. I can just picture maybe your husband, like, decided to go, like, a stop off and get a beer and uh-huh. sit oh, yeah. somewhere and yeah. she can find him. And then he was like, hey, relax. We're on vacation. <laughs> so I'm not, again, you should never hit another human no. being ever, ever, ever. Or spit on another. That's disgusting. Yeah. But. But. He probably did some. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just saying. Where'd you disappear to? Where'd you disappear to? (laughs) I have some sympathy for this woman. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So great. That's so great. And I love that that was on Disney Dining. Like, what? I know. (laughs) I love that they, like, wanted to – Oh, it says right here under the page, DisneyDining.com is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. (laughs) 
official information can be found at DisneyParks.com. <laughs> They're probably but all, like, but the good big shit's Disney here. is trying to like bury. Yeah. <laughs> if you want the real, well, wait, what was that woman's name? Asia Curry. Okay. Oh, sorry. I the reason I ask is because my quickie is from BuzzFeed by Asia McLean. And at first I was like, is the same one? Um, because this one is about divorce. And I was like, well, maybe we're getting the rest of the story. <laughs> so, oh, maybe. <laughs> um, so, but this is a BuzzFeed. Uh, it is a gen listicle. There we go. Ooh. And we love a listicle. Uh, okay, this is 17 divorce lawyers shared the weirdest reasons people got divorced, and I don't know what to say. Okay, a friend of mine, this is from um, a person named Panties Malone. Um, a friend of mine divorced her husband because his dick was too big. She said it was fun at first, but then the sex became, quote, too much work. When she told me, at first, I refused to believe it, but then she showed me a picture of them dancing at their reception, and holy shit, this guy was packing heat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, I'm, this, I'm laughing because I have a friend. I'm not going to say who it is. But she, she knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> I have a friend who uh, recently stopped dating somebody for that reason. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, We just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're just like, it's not fun. That's not fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, but yeah, that's funny. That's right. So, okay, this is from someone named OMG is Caroline. I don't know if this one's true, but it says, because the husband insisted on bringing his mother on their honeymoon. That's where the <gasps> wife discovered the reason was because his mother was still breastfeeding him. Yes, what? the husband, no, grown no, was there's still no way that's true. No. Do you think that's true? <laughs> no, I, I absolutely I don't feel like think there's that's no way. True. They would have figured out a system. No. You can pump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I know. I just, I you look, I'm not reporting it. I'm just telling you what, okay. uh, what OMG is Caroline said. Okay. Uh, and I would like to believe it's true, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay, uh, one that sticks out to me was when the husband and wife were both playing an online role-playing game like The Sims, except more adult. Well, the wife got very heavily involved in the game, spending 10 hours a day playing, and she wouldn't stop. The breaking point was when the husband set up a fake avatar to see what she was doing and found her avatar having sex with another random guy's avatar. <laughs> I did a quickie like that a long time ago. I don't know if you remember that, but like a couple broke up because she was her avatar was sleeping with other people. I think that's like a pretty actually common thing. That's I think so that funny. that happens. Like when would because, that bother you if like if Ben was Ben's avatar was sleeping with other avatars? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Would right? it? Yeah, like I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean. Ben does I it's so hard to imagine because Ben playing video games. Ben playing video games A. Yeah. B Yeah, I mean I just I guess it depends like the context. Because if it's like, you know, if it's like a role playing game where you're like talking to real people, right, then that's basically just like having a an affair. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like not in person sex, but if you're like chatting with someone and doing, you know. Yeah, I would be I would be concerned. 
<laughs> I'd be concerned yeah. in a way I would not care. Like I, w- I wouldn't care if he's like watching porn or doing whatever, like do whatever. But yeah, when you're like having uh, a relationship with someone else, even if they're an avatar. <laughs> yeah. I guess I just, if there was nobody on the other end, right? If it was just like a a bot. Right. Then I wouldn't care. Okay. What do you think? It's hard for me to say because I really – I find men that play video games to be completely unattractive. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I just – I just – to me, like to me, like people that – it's just not for me and I think that guys that play video games a lot, I just don't like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely dated, like, you know, went on dates with guys that said that they play video games. And that, to me, that is like, it, that's a, like a negative. Sorry. Yay. I just think, I think they, I don't know. This is not for me. And I, I guess like I'm just scarred from like years of like watching my idiot dude friends play video games when yes. I was younger. That that's what I picture. So if I, I picture too. a guy playing yeah. video games, I picture like a lazy lump on the couch smoking weed. And you know what I mean? Yes. Like that's what you're so, spending. All of your time on. I, I mean, I did the same. I remember sitting and watching for hours and hours watching my guy friends play fucking Mario Kart and <laughs> being like, why yeah. am I just – why am I here? Why I are we watching them play video games? This is ridiculous. Yeah. So I think I equate it with that. But so it's hard for me to say because I don't think I would be dating a person anyway that had an avatar. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm also not a jealous person. Same. Like I'm not so like to me, like I would be like, I don't care if your avatar fucks up other avatars. Yeah. But I I I'd care more that they play video games. Yeah. So yeah, I guess yeah. that's how I feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't date someone. No disrespect. To listeners that play video games, and um, no, know, I think I'm it's sure just like a, a hobby, like any other do. hobby. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, for me, it's just you know, I don't know. Right. It's a thing. Yes, yeah. I think it's like a thing, like anything else, where you can get addicted to it and then spend all your time doing it, and then you know, and then it becomes a problem where you're like, okay, well, if you're in this fantasy world rather than being in our real life. That's an issue. Yeah. But if you're just like, oh yeah, I just play it for like you know, thirty minutes when I get home, blah, you know, that's fun. Okay. Why yeah. look at my phone? So, yeah. Um, a friend of mine and his wife played the lottery, and one day he came up with the idea to prank his wife by playing the previous day's winning numbers. So he bought the ticket and stuck it on the fridge. Well, when his wife went to the kitchen to make coffee, he yelled to her from the other room to check the lottery numbers to see if they won. He had a huge grin on his face as as he heard her check her laptop. But then she went silent for a moment before yelling back they didn't win anything. Fifteen minutes later, she came downstairs with both of her kids in tow, saying she forgot to tell them they were going to her mom's for the day, and she left. Then my friend went to the fridge, checked the fridge in the trash. The ticket was nowhere to be found, and his wife wouldn't return his calls. That's when he realized she thought she had won the lottery and was taking off with the winnings. Oh, my God. Yeah. My brain went somewhere else. I thought that's when she was like, this is the worst joke. Yeah. And this is the, like, I'm tired of his dumb jokes. And that was the j- dumb joke that broke the camel's back. <laughs> I'm like, what did – so it says when she finally came home a few days later, she just walked in the door and said, fuck you. And he knew he had to divorce her. And I'm like, okay, but what about this marriage was so bad that the minute she had an out, she was taking it? Right. Right. 
So I'm dumb jokes, probably. Probably probably always pranking her. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like, that's so cruel to be like, make somebody think they won the lottery and then they didn't. Yeah. That's the kind of like dumb shit that I don't find funny. I know. Like, those like, there's funny pranks, there's funny gotchas, and then stuff like that is just like, it's lazy to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It's lazy and mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you laughing at somebody and, else's confusion. Why would they yeah. not think what you were saying was real? Yeah. Now, the uh, guy that pretended to be an Apple Terrian for three months, that was fucking clear. That was fucking funny because nobody was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that guy. Okay, I have just a couple more. Um, Okay, I had a client file for divorce because every morning his wife would ask him how he takes his coffee for seven years, which I'm like of two minds. So like she basically would never remember how he took his coffee and would ask him every morning. But I'm like, but then that also seems like she's making you coffee every morning. Yeah. So... (laughs) That's a weird one. That's a weird one. My neighbor filed for divorce because her husband smacked his lips when he ate and slurped his coffee and soup. She thought if she didn't divorce him, she'd end up going to jail for battery. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think I could understand that. (laughs) It was just like where you're like, I can't. I mean, that also is one of those things where you're like, that is probably a symptom of more issues that something like that bothers you so much. But also it's like. I mean, if you were with somebody for that long that smacked their and like they're, you know, just like slurped their stuff, I just you would get to a point. You know, I have some friends that have that. What is that called? There's a name for it when like you can't listen to people chew or. Oh, something phonia. Misophonia? <laughs> Melon. No. no, I don't know. Melatonin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a real fucking thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a friend that I can't, I cannot chew gum around them. And I know that my gum chewing could be very obnoxious. Do you have obnoxious Long Island gum chewing? I do. I'm a Long Island gum chewer. And and I I know it's, and I have to reel it. And sometimes I'll be talking to her on Marco Polo and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And then, or like, I'll have a mint in my mouth. Yeah. And then I have to spit it out or I stop the, you know, sometimes. And so, because she will just not watch the Marco Polo if she oh, sees really? that I'm like chewing gum or eating or anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, yeah, I get uh, it. So some people, it's like a real thing. So I, I sympathize with the person that is annoyed, but I also sympathize for the the slurper because I'm I'm a Long Island gum chewer. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a leg to stand on. That's what I'm <laughs> do you pop it? I think yeah. I do without like noticing that I'm doing it. Yeah, I had a yeah. um, a mom of one of my friends growing up, like always chewed gum, and she did that. And I think it must have she must not have known. She's like an amazingly accomplished woman and a, ended up being a judge to the lawyer, but just like she just popped her gum. And it's like the only thing I can remember about her like is that that is what she did all the time. It's like a learned behavior because that's yeah. what like my mom did. That's what my aunts did. It's just like, it was just a normal <laughs> And all the women thing. before me. And all the like, grandmothers, grandmothers. <laughs> 
but I don't really chew gum that much. Like I very rarely chew chew gum anymore, but um, just because of TMJ, <laughs> my <laughs> like bones are too old to chew gum. Yeah, but um, but when I but when I do, <laughs> you'll be a smacking. I smack it. Um, <laughs> I love yeah. that. I'm like, get you a pack of gum. Oh my god! <laughs> Just watch you go. Watch you turn into Long yeah. Island Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Just Jenny from the block. Jenny. 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 All right, guys. Um, are you ready for the crazy story this week? Oh, I'm ready. Okay, guys. This might might be your last murdery. Um, love. Uh, love story. <laughs> Let's do that again. Uh, this might be your last murder story, depending on the feedback we get. So, yeah. you know, really savor it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. <laughs> Give me uh, all the details. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so this story this week came from – my information came from an article for the Baltimore Sun by Nick Madigan, an article for WBALTV.com, my staff, and a um, <laughs> an episode of Snapped. Of course. Oh, um, back to our yeah. roots. On May 22nd, 2010 in Dundalk, Maryland, um, at 2 a.m., which was around the time that bars were closing, um, police received a 911 call that a man had been shot right in his front yard. When the police responded, they found this man in his front yard. And when the medics arrived there, they found um, Lee Martin, who was the owner of the bar that he was laying in front of. So there was a bar and it was one of those like neighborhoods where the bar is in kind of a residential area. So it's yeah. like houses and then bar. So he was laying in front of the bar and and his house. Um, just honestly kind of my dream. To own a bar next no. to your house? No, just to like have, to have a bar next have to a your bar. house. Have a bar. Not next to my house, but like, you know, just like a little neighborhood pub that you can like go have a drink. I like, I like yeah. having a bar in the neighborhood. Sorry, I know you're um, talking about a dead person. I apologize. So, well, so he was – so his name was Lee Martin, and he was the owner of the bar that it was laying in front of. Um, but when they found him, he was actually alive at that time. Oh, so there um, you go. Lee Martin, who was 43 years old at the time, grew up a hardworking Maryland native. Um, people described him as like a big teddy bear and would do anything for anyone Um, He was actually born into this family business, which was they owned this local bar that was called the Hops Inn. The family house that he grew up in was right next door to this bar. Okay. And so that's how he, you know, was raised. He was raised around the bar and he was so very dedicated to the bar. Um, He had been married before and divorced and he had two sons. Um, But people, um, his friends say that he like, he loved his boys so much and that he was an, an excellent father but he put m- most of his energy into being a good father but he also put all of his energy into this bar and in 2001 um, when he was needing some help at the bar he placed a help wanted ad for a bartender and that's when a woman named Jacqueline Lynn Grant answered the ad when she got there for her, when she showed up for her interview, she immediately like jumped behind the bar and started making drinks and stuff. And so it yeah. was obvious that she knew what she was doing. She was cool and you know pretty and friendly. And um, so he hired her on the spot. Yeah. So um, Jacqueline Lindgren, um, she grew up in Baltimore and she kind of had a hard upbringing. They said that she had a really hard time in high school. That she was a goth. Is how they described her on the show. She was a goth in high school. She was a goth. But um, 
I mean, who wasn't a goth in right? High school? Right? <laughs> I was like, so, weren't we all? <laughs> I should goth. So um, apparently she had a hard time in high school and she dropped out of school when she had a daughter at a young age. Um, her daughter was named Trinity. So she was a high school dropout and she worked three jobs to support her daughter. But when she started working for Lee at the bar, um, she became instantly attracted to Lee. She, he was older than her. He's actually 17 years older than her. But she liked older guys and um, – you know, he was this like big guy who was sweet, like a teddy bear, and he made her feel safe and protected. That's just what she wanted in her life was, you know, yeah, stability and someone to protect her. And, you know, and she was young and beautiful and a really hard worker. So Lee was attracted to her as well. So they started dating. And then um, shortly thereafter, um, they became a couple and she moved in with him. She didn't have to work because like he had all the money from the bar and he was financially well off, so he wanted to just take care of her, provide for her, and for her daughter. So she didn't – she wasn't bartending there anymore. She just kind of was taken care of. Okay. Um, so um, her friend said that she was, like, the happiest she's ever been. Cause yeah. Who doesn't want to be – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like, I would – I could never – that could never be me. I would yeah. always have to work. I need my own money. Right. Um, <laughs> so they were married later that year. And then when Lee's dad got older and started to fall ill, he sold the rest of his part of the bar to Lee. And then it just became Lee's business 100%. He was 100% the owner. So, so it seemed like everything was going well for them. You know, they had their family, they had the bar, they were married. Um, so now here we are at um, May 22nd, 2010, and Lee has just been shot in front of his yard and nobody knows why. Yeah. And so when the police arrived, they knocked on the door of their home to wake up Jacqueline and she was still sleeping and she had no idea what was going on. And um, so they rushed Lee to the nearby Bayview Medical Center and then Jacqueline um, got up and quickly followed behind. Um, and uh, But sadly, Lee did not make it. He died shortly thereafter. And when they notified Jacqueline, she was totally in shock. They said that her face was just blank, like she couldn't process what she had just heard, which is understandable. Um, And then uh, back at the house, the police were still investigating the crime scene. And so they collected evidence. They found his cell phone, a pack of cigarettes, his watch, his wallet, his flip-flops. But they didn't find any shell casing from the bullets. Um, and their initial thought was that, you know, like it always is that they thought it was a robbery gone wrong, but of course, like his wallet, his phone and his watch were still there. And then, um, finally they spoke to some witnesses that came forward and told the police that they saw two males walking with Lee and then one pulled out a gun and shot, shot him and then ran off. So they called in um, canine trackers. Like, get on sniffed, the scent. Get on the <laughs> scent. But so, but the the dogs like tracked a trail, like tracked a trail down the road at, at the b- bottom of a dead end street, and then stopped. So it was as if like there was a car parked at the dead end street and then drove away. Mm. Isn't that People, crazy how they can do that. It's so amazing. I know dogs are the coolest. <laughs> so. Apparently, a lot of other crimes were reported that night. Two different people reported um, that two 
two males had with a gun had held them up. So they were thinking, oh, maybe this was just like a spree of crimes and robberies. But one weird thing was that nobody else had been shot, but Lee had been shot eight times, which isn't typical for a robbery. Right. Yeah. So the police then questioned um, all of the regular bar patrons and a few people told them that there was a situation with a local drug dealer named Kyle who was selling um, drugs at the bar. Fucking Kyle. God damn it, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, stop I'm selling so, drugs. I know. Put your I, hat on forwards. <clears throat> Jesus, Kyle. I mean, but doesn't like every local bar need that one guy that's all <laughs> Sits at the end of the bar. Yeah. It's like a fixture, like the jukebox or the cigarette machine. So apparently Lee had confronted this Kyle and told him like he couldn't, that he kicked him out and told him he couldn't sell drugs or anymore. So, and there was tension around that. So they thought maybe this could be retaliation. But when they looked into this drug dealer, Kyle, it turned out that him and his sister, Ashley, I guess they dr- sold drugs together there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what a family. Oh, I love um, it. I know. How proud would you be if your kids were like <laughs> drug like dealers a, together? Right. It's like, like on one hand, you're like together. so proud of them for being friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they looked into him and his sister Ashley, they saw that Ashley was in jail and that Kyle was um, at this other bar down the street called the Railway at the time of the murder, probably selling okay. drugs. <laughs> so they were both cleared. Yeah. So when they investigated more into Lee's life, they saw that, and like, you know, his bank statements, all that stuff, they saw that he had recently disputed four different ATM transactions on his debit card that totaled $1,000. When they looked into the camera footage of who used this card, they saw um, a guy, but they couldn't make out who he was because he covered his head up with a hoodie and a hat, like, so you couldn't see his face. yeah. But they did see that a male at the ATM using his debit card. And had the PIN number. So um, later, an employee of the bar came forward and told the police that the night of the murder, that his roommate Rob was acting really strange. He said that him, that his roommate Rob, and then two of his friends, like, uh, were at, at their apartment. They were running around the apartment, like, putting on hoodies and masks and acting like they were about to go do something and pumping themselves up. And, like, it looked like they were about to, you know... Yeah. Like, go commit a crime. And right. so the other two guys were 19-year-old. Uh, they're both 19. One is, was called Storm Davis, and the other's name was Brandon Roth. And then the his roommate was Robert Gardner, who was Jacqueline's brother. Oh, Jacqueline. Oh, Jacqueline. Back and snapped. I know. And so they brought... Uh, I kept I keep wanting to call this guy Storm because that makes way more sense for a name, but it's Sturm. Sturm. It's S T U R M. What a big Sturm! Like I just feel like when his mom named him, she was probably like really heavily under the influence <laughs> of the Sturm. Like, you know, like, like a thunder Epidural. Sturm. Yeah, like no Sturm. <laughs> yeah, like when it's she raining was- outside, it's. Storm. <laughs> That's no, I want to name. No, not storm. Storm. Write that down. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so um, they brought Sturm and Brandon in for questioning. 
And they told the police that they were just hanging out watching a movie when all of a sudden. Sorry. That just reminded reminded me when you and I were driving to Asheville and we saw saw, um, a license plate that said Prance. And you were like, I was like, I wonder what what they're really into. And you were like, I think they just really love Purple Rain. You know, Prance. Funny. So funny, Jen. That's the kind of shit that's only funny when you're on a road trip and you're exhausted and you've been driving for hours. Prance. (laughs) You know, prance. Ay, ay, ay. Great. Okay, so so they said that they were just hanging out watching a movie when Rob called them and told them that he needed their help to do something. He told them that he needed their help to beat someone up. That was the only information that they would give the police at the time was that like they did that they were at the apartment. They were with Rob, but they were just like, he said that he needed help with beating somebody up, but they didn't do anything. They didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then in the meantime, now that they know that um, this guy, Robert Gardner, is probably involved and they check that ATM footage, it like uh-huh. his body type completely matched. Yeah. Like they could tell that it was him. Um, and then also they checked his cell phone um, records and saw that he had called Jacqueline like multiple times at night and before and after the murder. So they ended up arresting Rob and bringing him in for questioning. And Rob said that, yeah, that they did go to the bar and that they were just there to scare um, Lee. They weren't going to do anything, but it was Sturm Davis that pulled (laughs) the trigger. And so, yeah, but they were like, yeah, no. So they charged, uh, so they arrested him and charged him with first degree premeditated murder. And so- Apparently, when they dove more into what was going on with Jacqueline and Lee, when they talked to like, you know, bar patrons and friends and family, um, it turned out that Lee had actually been um, apparently like losing his patience with Jacqueline because she had been taking money from the register and drinking a lot and fighting with patrons at the bar. Mm. Um, And it got had gotten so bad that she was actually banned from going inside of the bar. So she wasn't allowed in there. So it was rumored that Lee was actually about to leave her. And so there lies the motive for Jacqueline because like there was a prenup and she wasn't going to get anything and he was going to leave her and divorce her. She would have gotten nothing. But if he died, she would have gotten the life insurance. Right. They needed a motive and that was the motive and that motive makes sense. So they ended up confronting, the police confronted Jacqueline at Lee's funeral. At the funeral. Oh man. And then they arrested her. That's very dramatic. I like it. I know. It's very Baltimore. (laughs) Yeah. And so. (laughs) Baltimore. Yeah. So they arrested her right there and they ended up taking her to the Baltimore County Police Headquarters. That's when they told her like, we know everything. We know that you set this whole thing up. You know, that you hired your brother or got your brother to murder him and she denied it and then finally when the interrogator was like why did your brother kill him yeah she said he wanted to take care of me so she admitted that her brother did it and they asked her they said why did you give your brother lee's card and pin number and she said because their baby needed diapers so she's throwing like her brother oh like her brother's baby yeah 
Yeah. So she was like, I gave it to him because their baby needed diapers. And they said, and they were like, why were you bar- banned from the bar, from going in the bar? And she was like, I wasn't. I wasn't banned from the bar. I just didn't go in. I just didn't want to. You know, so like she was kind of not admitting to stuff, but admitting to some stuff. And then they asked her, like, why did you pretend to be asleep? when we came to the door that night of the murder and she was like, I was sleeping. I was asleep the whole time. And they're like, no, because we see on your cell phone records that you were on the phone with your brother all night long. Yeah. So you weren't sleeping. So um, then that's when they finally like backed her into a, a corner. And then that's when she admitted that she, she was like, I just wanted Lee hurt. I didn't want him killed. I just wanted him hurt. Well, then she what, told, but why would that, why would you want him hurt for? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, she told the we're police not buying that. It. Yeah. Well, she told the police that she wanted him hurt because he abused her. And she said that she wanted him to know, quote, what it was like to walk around with a bruise on his face, but that she never wanted him to be killed. So she admitted that she had something to do with it, but she's claiming that it wasn't to murder him. So with that, Jacqueline, Rob, and both of his two 19-year-old friends, they were all arrested and charged with first-degree murder. The two 19-year-olds, Sturm, and uh, Sturm Davis and Brandon Roth, they struck plea deals right away in exchange for testifying against Rob and Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, And then only a year and a half later, Rob ended up changing his story and completely threw Jacqueline under the bus. This happens every time. You guys, don't – first of all, don't murder anybody. (laughs) Second of all, don't murder as a team. I don't care if you think it's like the love of your life your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, you, they will always turn on you. Always. You that they'll never, never, never be a pair of criminals that will have each other's back till the end. That just no. won't happen. So don't murder anybody. Anyway. Just don't, mur- just don't murder just anybody. Don't do and if it. you're gonna do <laughs> act alone. Yes. <laughs> do it by yourself. Don't ever trust anyone to murder with you. <laughs> so Rob changed his story and said that Jacqueline had told him that she would pay him $10,000 to kill Lee. And she, he said that she gave him that card and pin so that he could take out the money to go buy a gun with it. He said that he did it for his sister because his sister was being abused and that he only followed through with the murder to protect his sister. Yeah. Um, they had a prenup and he was getting ready to divorce her, but the life insurance policy would have get, left her $300,000 had he been murdered. And she promised to share that with her brother. Right. Um, and then on January 13th, 2012, Jacqueline entered an Alfred plea, which is where you admit guilt, but you're because you know that the evidence is too strong and that you yeah. know you'll likely get um, convicted, but you're still not actually admitting guilt. Yeah, you say you say I'm not saying I'm guilty, but what I'm saying is that yeah, the evidence is strong enough to convict me. So I will right. just take this plea, but I'm not saying I'm guilty. Yeah, but I'm saying that your evidence is saying I'm guilty. Yes, so it's she a very weird, a weird thing. It is weird. So Rob was sentenced to sixty years and. In- prison and Jacqueline was uh, sentenced to 60 years in prison. And then Brandon Roth, he pled guilty to first degree assault and was sentenced to 20 years with all but seven years suspended. Sturm Davis pled guilty to armed robbery and gun charges and he was sentenced to 30 years with all but 10 years suspended. So at this time, Sturm and Brandon have been released and they're back out there in the wild. Um, but Jacqueline and Rob are still in prison and will likely be there for the rest of their lives. Good. 
Good. Yeah. yeah. There you well, go, guys. There you go. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Does it make you feel good, guys? Is that what you fucking want? Is this what you fucking want from us? Are you happy? So, I don't know. What a sad, awful story. You know? know. I I guess it it just takes it out of you. Goes to show you never date a goth person. Um. (laughs) A goth. A goth. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Do you want a love story? I do. Okay. This is from CNN.com by Francesca Street. So I want you to go back to 1987 in your mind. Do you remember it? You were a small child. Um, You were chewing your gum, popping your gum on the streets of Long Island. (laughs) Carefree. Um, okay, so in February, skipping <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I was just popping gum and popping your gum down the street. Streets. No, skip it. Amazing. Remember, skip it. Oh, skip. Yeah, I had to skip it, and I would I up and down all day long. I thought you. <laughs> I had a pogo ball and a skip it. I, I thought you were saying and I ruled that fucking street. I thought you were saying skipping wrong. No, no. <laughs> and I was just going to just go with it. Go with it. You were skipping. Well, skipping down the street. Skipping down the street. Okay, so you're there. You're there with me. Yeah. So this is mm-hmm. February of 1987. Um, a 23-year-old named Tiffany Woods was at the Sacramento bus station waiting to catch the Greyhound bus back to her home in San Francisco. Have you ever been on a Greyhound bus, Jen? Yes. Oh my God. My Corey and I got stuck in Miami once and had to take a Greyhound bus from Miami to Atlanta. And it was the <gasps> worst ride of our lives. Yeah. 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 I rode one one time and this guy gets on next to me and he's like instantly falls asleep. And then like I Oh, I thought feel- you were gonna say in love with you. It was like, duh. He was instantly in love with me. Um, but I felt like this like something on my leg. Like he was asleep. He wasn't really touching me, but I felt something on my leg and I was just like frozen. Please right for the whole dick. time. Please don't be a dick. One thousand percent. Like please, please, please. And then when he got up and left, I looked down, it's still like I could still feel the thing. I looked down and it's just like a bottle of liquor. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, good, good, good." I was like, "He was wasted, but also, thank oh goodness." God. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so Tiffany's getting on a Greyhound bus. She had been in Sacramento. She's going back to San Francisco, um, and at this time, she was at like a big crossroads in her life. She had been married when she was twenty-one, but now she and her wife were separated and considering divorce. Um, Tiffany is trans, but at the time, she hadn't come out, so she was you know, struggling to like cover her identity, figure it out. It was also 1987. So there weren't a lot of like, she didn't see a lot of paths to transitioning. Um, She was also in the middle of training to become a police officer. But like the deeper she got into training, the more she was realizing, like, maybe this wasn't what she wanted to do with her life. So she obviously she had a lot on her mind. And, um, and she wasn't paying the most attention as she's waiting in line to put her bag under the bus. And so 
she's kind of out of it. And this woman who was further up in the line reached over to hand Tiffany a luggage tag and was like, hey, you're going to need one of these to check your bag in. And Tiffany was like, oh, thank you. And kind of like broke out of her thoughts. Um, And that's when she sees this young woman named Bridget. Bridget was 18. She was living and working in San Francisco, and she had been in Sacramento for the weekend visiting her parents. So Bridget and Tiffany start chatting. First, they're like talking about the luggage tags, just kind of like mundane things. Then like they talk about, oh, why are you going to San Francisco? Why are you? Um, And there was like, so they're chatting and there's this person in between them. And the person I'm sure was just like, (laughs) what is happening? And this was like, do you guys want to switch places so you guys can stand together? And they're like, yeah, okay, you know, why not? Um, So they switched and then they chatted the whole time they're in line. And then eventually they get on the bus. They decide to sit together. And the bus ride took, like, I think the distance between Sacramento and San Francisco, if you were by car, it would be like an hour and 45 minutes. But this is a Greyhound bus. So it was probably like 18 hours. So they're, you know, they talk the whole time. It's just one of those. Tiffany says it was one of those conversations where you meet a stranger and you spend several hours with the stranger as if you've known them your whole life. And you also assume you're never going to see them again. So your defenses are down. So, you know, it's like they were telling each other things they wouldn't tell someone if they were like, we're going to see all the time. Um, They talked about almost everything. Tiffany didn't mention that she was still technically married. Bridget said she added a few years to her age. She told Tiffany she was 21. They were like so much in their own little world and just having had this connection that a couple hours into the journey, a woman who was sitting across from them was like, how long have you been together? Like just seeing that they were Mm -hmm. so connected and Tiffany and Bridget kind of turned to each other and laughed. And then Tiffany turned back to the woman and was like, oh, we've been together since kindergarten. And without skipping a beat, Bridget was like, oh, yeah, we were in um, what made up the name of a teacher. Like we were in Miss Jones's class together. And they just started playing off each other like they've been together since kindergarten. Tiffany says, I guess we just had that chemistry. So the bus eventually is kind of running late. It pulls into San Francisco terminal and Tiffany had a friend there waiting to pick her up. Um, Bridget had been planning to take the Bay area rapid transit to get to her aunt's house where she was living at the time. But because the bus was late, she missed her last train. And so Tiffany was like, Hey, we can give you a ride home. Um, But then on the ride home, they first stopped and got pizza, and then they went to a bar, and there they exchanged phone numbers. And then when Tiffany eventually dropped Bridget at her house, um, she gave her a kiss goodnight. And Bridget said that was very sweet, and the rest, as they say, is history. Aww. Yeah. So Bridget and Tiffany both like actually had plans to travel back to Sacramento the following weekend. And so they called each other during the week and were like, hey, let's let's ride up there together. So um, Bridget actually was staying with her parents and Tiffany didn't necessarily have a place to stay. I'm not sure exactly sure it worked, but Bridget was like, hey, do you want to crash at my parents' house? And um, and Tiffany was like, sure. So like less than a week after they had met on the bus, Tiffany's getting introduced to Bridget's parents. And Tiffany said, I spent the weekend with her. We went to her parents' home. We went to her sister's high school play. She introduced me to her friends after. And then on the weekend, that Friday night, they were like up together. It was 3 a.m. They'd been drinking champagne. They're sitting on Bridget's parents' living room couch. And um, Bridget was like stroking Tiffany's hair. And she asked, oh, what's your favorite color? And Tiffany said, purple. And Tiffany thought, okay. This is going to like spark a conversation because it was 1987 and Tiffany thought like 
saying my favorite color is purple is like a really unconventional choice for like a cis heterosexual man in 1987. So she thought like, okay, maybe Bridget will ask more and I could reveal a little bit more about that I'm trans. Um, But so she, Bridget didn't really say anything. So she said to Bridget, I think I have gender issues. And so the next morning, Tiffany was hungover and she like panicked and was like, remembered that she had revealed more than she really wanted to reveal to Bridget. And so she kind of like tried to take back what she said, but Bridget Mm -hmm. said, it's okay. We'll figure it out. You're fine. You're okay. You are perfect the way you are. We will figure it out together. And Tiffany says, like, nobody had ever said that to me before. She said it was everything she had hoped for. And Bridget said, because there wasn't any expectation of the relationship or anything, there was such an openness. There weren't any consequences. There was just a complete trust of whatever the natural understanding of each other was. And as the relationship grew, that just stayed there. And Tiffany says, we clearly always had, I think, the soulmate connection. So over the next few months, they were like super inseparable, but Tiffany had still not told Bridget that she was still married. Um, and eventually when Bridget found out, she was pissed, you know? She was yeah. like, how could you hide this from me? But they worked through it together. And Bridget says today, she said, it's just one of the little scars. Like um, Tiffany says she complete took complete ownership of it. She and her ex-wife were already separated, but she went ahead and got a divorce. And by September of 1987, just nine months after they met, Tiffany and Bridget moved into a small apartment together in San Francisco. And that is when they started to like build a life for each other. Tiffany had finally like admitted to herself and to Bridget that she didn't actually want to become a cop. Um, she says... I was going to become a police officer because I couldn't ever see a path of transition. And so that's what we did as trans folks in the 70s, 80s, 60s. We kind of went into hyper-masculine professions. But she says that the unconditional supportive relationship she had with Bridget allowed her to actually reevaluate and think like, well, if Bridget is accepting me, maybe others will accept me as well and that I could actually be myself. So... They say that, you know, this was the 1980s, like there was no internet, there was no trans rep- representation, like in the media or public eye. Um, Tiffany says there weren't resources, there was so much stigma, there still is now. I mean, we came a long way, we're still obviously having backlash of the trans vi- visibility, but at that point, I was just trying to figure out if this was even a reality. So they, you know, they're in San Francisco, luckily, and so they got very involved in the San Francisco's LGBTQ plus community. And Tiffany said, we just kind of found kindred spirits and a place and belonging and a purpose. But Tiffany, at this point, was still not out to the outside world or her family. And so when she decided to fully transition, Tiffany actually stopped talking to her family, like her birth family altogether. She said, fear is a huge barrier. I was afraid of rejection, so I rejected them first because then I could control the rejection, but also Mm. didn't give them opportunity to affirm me or support me. That's the flip side of that. So they, Bridget and Tiffany, continue with their relationship, and 10 years into their relationship in 1996, the two got married. Um, They say that their gay friends who were unable to marry at the time told Bridget and Tiffany that they should get married for us. But they weren't exactly sure how the minister would react if they both dressed in a traditionally feminine way. So Tiffany wore a men's tuxedo and then she had like just 
just a little bit of makeup, had long hair, so put her hair in a ponytail. But then afterwards, they had housemates who were drag queens, and they just like helped Tiffany get totally dressed up for the celebration. And then they went out as themselves for food and cake with close friends and celebrated their marriage. Um, I know. Isn't that nice? And then so, I mean, both heartbreaking and beautiful that they had those friends. Um, And then a few years after they got married, they decided they wanted to have children. Um, Bridget had always wanted to have kids, but Tiffany wasn't exactly sure how it would work. She said, I figured the kids would reject me because I didn't know how to have those conversations. You know, at the time, there weren't a lot of trans parents. So they decided first that they wanted to actually reconnect with Tiffany's family. Um, Tiffany said, we wanted to change the narrative and create a new path that's healthy for our family, also knowing that we needed the support of our families, navigating a world as a trans woman and a perceived as a lesbian couple. So they reached out to Tiffany's family, and although they were had been hurt, um, they actually were really excited to support Tiffany and Bridget through parenthood. And so they like that's so great. Yeah. So they were there for them. And Tiffany and Bridget have three children who are now teenagers. Yeah. And so, and Tiffany says that her fear of rejection from the kids were like completely unfounded. As Bridget had said they were. Um, Tiffany says they give her nothing but unconditional love. So 35 years they've been together after they randomly met on the Greyhound bus, Tiffany and Bridget say they're focused on doing their best to make a difference in the world and raising children to do the same. Bridget has her own company. Tiffany works for the California Department of Public Health as a state's transgender health specialist. Um, She also works uh, with the California Democratic Party. And in 2011, uh, Tiffany produced a groundbreaking documentary about the trans community in San Francisco called Trans Francisco um, that actually recently won the 2021 I Hollywood Film Fest Impact Award for Lifetime Dedication. Um, basically said that Trans Francisco was the first of its kind to truly portray the trans community in San Francisco. Tiffany and Bridget say they're both proud of where they are today as a family and how they've grown together over their relationship. They say their chance meeting and their openness has guided them through their lives. Uh, Bridget said, anything is possible. You just have to believe you can make things work. And Tiffany said, don't be afraid to take chances. I think we can all, we all meet each other for a reason. Things happen for a reason. And we may not understand what the reason is, but be open to them and don't let fear hold you back. So there you I go. Love that. Yeah. That's it's, great. I love that like, just a random meeting and just the like accepting each other exactly as they are and how they grew together is really beautiful. And and they're a beautiful couple. And I can't wait to show you all the pictures. They've been together for 35 years. That's That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Can't wait to see the pictures. Yeah. Good one. Thanks, dude. All right. Let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. Um, I guess I'm going to start this week. I'm mm-hmm. going to go ahead and say, um, so we got some uh, feedback last week. When we posted our episode last week, we posted it after Roe v. Wade was overturned, but we've recorded it the day before it was overturned. So some people were like, what do you mean nothing dumb happened? Yeah, we were like, nothing's dumb. Everything's like, great. And, uh, <laughs> so, like, so this is our first episode we're recording since then. Um, yeah. And yes, that was um, a huge fucking blow. And 
very, very dumb. And I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that could have even happened. Yeah. And what is going on with the world right now? I mean, I just, I can, it's, it was too overwhelming for me to even dive into why this is so fucking dumb. Yeah. It's so fucking evil and short-sighted. I just, I just cannot wrap my head around this. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I always like to share a few places where you can, um, um, take a stand or take action or donate um, in cases like this. Um, I just wanted to share some information from swingleft.org. If you go on their website, you can uh, donate to the Swing Left States Fund. You can donate to the Abortion Access Fund. Um, you could also um, find your nearest swing district mm-hmm. and find a target race near you. Um those are just some ways that you can take action. Do you agree with us in saying that Roe v. Wade should have never have been overturned? Yeah. Some of you might not agree with us, but that's just how we feel. Yes. I mean, I'm speaking for you, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> One of them was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. um, no, I, 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 well, yeah, I can't think of anything dumber at the moment. Um all of these things are happening and it seems so clear that the majority of people don't agree with it. And yet it there's like, seems to be, there are paths to change it, but I just don't know if anything will change. It just feels so, um, feels hopeless. And I hate that. I hate that feeling where you just feel like, wow, I don't, I always, I think I'm somebody who always believes like things will work out and this just feels like it won't. But um, I agree with Jen, like taking action makes you, makes us feel better. And it's, it's what we need to do now. We need to like, we can't sit on the bench on these things. Like we can't just like gun control, like we can't sit by and just let politicians who aren't representing our, our actual beliefs as a country. Um, Now I'm, I'm like rambling. We just can't. We just can't sit by and let and let this happen. So anyway, I also wanted to give a place you can, if you can find your local abortion fund um, at abortionfunds.org. You can find where that is in your area, and depending on where you live, it's super hyper important either to give to people traveling out of state or to give to those places in states that are still allowing abortion to ramp up their funds because people are going to be seeking abortions in those states. So abortionfunds.org. Um, and, uh, and yeah, find a, find a, a campaign you can work on that's local that will make a difference. Cause I think that's where we're, that's what we got to do if we're ha- making things happen at the state level. Um, okay. I don't, obviously I can't talk eloquently about these things yet just like you were saying like there's yeah, so much it's, it's like so overwhelming hurt. Yeah. I don't have I don't have the words I'm not a I'm not a great I'm not great at this stuff um but I do feel very passionately about it so um okay let's both say a tv show or a <laughs> podcast or something we've liked just to like lighten the mood oh, you know yeah. dude? you know what's really great um is uh Loot on Apple. Have you seen oh, it? Oh, we just started watching that last it's night. It's so great. It's with Maya Rudolph and Joel Kim Booster's on that show too. Yeah. Um, I definitely um, check out Loot on Apple TV. I mean, the writing is just so good. It's so funny. It's such an easy watch. It's – yeah. Um, oh, and Ron Funches is on it too, which was one of our past Red Clay headliners. So um, there's a lot of great people on the show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's it's really it's a it's a fun and I love I could watch my root off do anything. 
Yeah, she's um, wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's great. Um, I want to recommend. Um, I maybe I've already talked about this, but this podcast called Off Menu. Um, it's British comedians Ed Gamble and James A. Castor. They interview chefs and comedians and all sorts of just you know delightful British people about what their dream restaurant would be and what their dream menu would be. So they go through with each person and they talk about like, what would your dream starter be? What would your dream, like you can be like, Hey, I want that from where my, what my aunt made one time at this one particular place. And I always think about it and that's what I want. I want that thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just very funny. They're so delightful. They're so, they're just really funny people. And this they're like excited about food and I just love listening to it. It's such like a breath of fresh air. So I highly recommend that. Awesome. It's called yeah, Off Menu. You were yeah. telling me about that the other day and you were saying that the place is called the Juniper Cafe here in Atlanta. It's on the West side. Um, you were saying that you wanted those mushroom crepes that we had. Yeah. And, that, um, that would be my dream starter. Oh, Cause man. it was so good. Guys, they were that restaurant so, is so good. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a oh, fun, it's just like a fun thought experiment to think about like, what would be your dream menu? I love yeah. thinking about food. <laughs> I love eating food. I love talking about food. Maybe we should talk about food. That's Me too. And I love menus. Yeah, That's one of my hobbies is reading menus. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, so those are things we love. And we love you guys. And uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you would like to hear from us, what you like about the podcast, what you definitely want to keep, um, what you could do without, I guess. I mean, this seems yeah. rude. But um, like, is it me? Could you do without me? Do you just want Jen? I don't know. Let I mean, know. If, if that's what you want, that's what we'll get. That's what you, you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. I'm kidding. Okay. But you guys hit us up. You can find us on all the socials at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Um, you could rate and review. You could tell a friend. Those would all be nice things. Do all those nice things. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dumb, da-dum, dumb, 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 dumb.